Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we've been reminded of and we've praised your son Jesus and your work of salvation in him in song, in prayer, through communion. Lord, help us to do this as we come to your word this morning too. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts open to your word, to each of us and us together this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when we hear about the word mission, I think we think about going overseas to a place with no church, with very few Christians. I went on two short-term mission trips, both times to Japan in 2010 and 2012. Some of you know, in Japan, 0.3% of the population are Christians. There are very few churches. And during both trips to Japan, I was convicted people need to hear about Jesus. But both times when I came back home, back to Brisbane, I was equally convicted, even more convicted, that people need to hear about Jesus here, to hear in our backyard, here in our hometown, in our neighbourhood, that this assumption that to be on mission is to go overseas. Is it really true? Aren't we supposed to be on mission here, here at home too? Aren't there also urgent needs, exciting opportunities to be on mission to, in our backyard, to see our backyard, our community as a mission field for Jesus? Well, let's have a look at a moment uh, at the state of Christianity in Australia. In the 2021 census, 43.9% of Australia identified as a Christian. You might think that's high, but it's on a massive downward trend from 61%, sorry, you can't see that, in 2011, 52% in 2016, down to 43.9% in 2021. You might think, yes, it's going down, but it's still pretty high, right? It's almost one in every two people are Christians. Well, if you sift through the data, Christian is a very broad term in the census. And when you only look at Protestant evangelical Christians, you'll get at best around 20% of all Australians. If you dig deeper, you have a look at church attendance data. I couldn't find the 2021 data, but from the 2016 census, weekly church attendance for Protestant evangelical Christians sits at around 3% of all Australians. That's a big drop from 43% or even 20%, 3% of all Australians are regularly attending believers. I had a look at the community profile for Upper Mount Gravatt using 2021 data. At best, 16% of those in our community ticked a Protestant evangelical religious affiliation. Less than the national average by 4%. You flip that around, 84% of 
That's 9,000 people in this upper Mount Gravatt suburb aren't in a saving relationship with Jesus. You see, there is an urgent need to proclaim Christ and make disciples in our very own backyards. But there are also exciting opportunities too. Even amidst what we feel like is an increasingly marginalisation of Christianity in Australia. NCLS National Church Life Survey did a community survey in 2021 and they asked on a scale of 0 to 10 whether people would see themselves as spiritual. 22% of respondents said no. So that means 78% see themselves as interested in spirituality. 52% of them rated between 5 to 10. That's on the higher end of the scale. NCLS did another question in 2020, asking whether people would accept an invite to attend a church. And 37% of respondents said they would most likely say yes. So out of every 10 people you ask, four of them would be interested and open to attending church. You see, there is urgency, but there's also opportunity in our backyard to share Jesus to our nation. As we've mentioned this morning, we've just embarked on our five-year church vision. This year's focus on the first part, a church on mission. Uh, That's going to be our focus for the year. And even just looking at the community around us, seeing that state of play from before is enough for us to be on board and fired up about this vision. We see the need, we see the opportunity to be a church on mission. But it's not just a practical observation that moves us to be a church on mission. It's not just a snapshot of our community that drives us towards this. You see, it's actually a drive from God and his word that moves us to be a church on mission. It's a theological, it's a Bible conviction because as we read the Bible, we see that being on mission is a central purpose of God's people. A church on mission that's actively holding out the life-giving gospel to a world that is lost without Jesus. As we work towards God's ultimate call on us as a church to proclaim Christ and make disciples. And as we look at today's passage, as we begin the year, as we kick off this new vision and this first part, I believe uh, this passage echoes our vision for the year, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, what it means to be gathering as God's people here in Upper Mount Gravatt, And in this passage that Tim read out to us, we see the who and the what. We see identity and action. We see that God has brought us together, a people, with a purpose for that people, a church on mission. Well, just before we get to those verses this morning, if you've got your Bibles open, Peter's begun 
this letter, reminding these believers of their privileged status before God. They are recipients of living hope. Chapter 1, verse 3, they are chosen exiles. Verse 1 and 2. And they hold this privilege because, of the, because they've come to Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 4. Jesus, the cornerstone. Then Peter, he talks about those who reject Jesus. That's the verses directly before this. They stumble. They don't get to share in those privileges. And Peter ends the opening section to this letter here in verse 9 and 10. And he summarizes the privileged status of believers, what all who accept Jesus partake in together. And Paul, he begins with the who. Who are you privileged to be? Who are you now that you're in Christ? And he does this in verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Note that Peter doesn't say, you're a chosen person. You're a royal priest, a holy individual, a person for his own possession. He uses collective terms, race, priesthood, nation, people. And he does this because we weren't saved as solo, individual followers of Jesus. God, he's always designed us to be his people in community a collective, a group of people joined together as one, or in other words, the church, the gathering of the saved people of God. And each of these four terms, they say the same thing in a different way. And we're going to have a quick look at this. First, Peter says, you are a chosen race. If you remember in the Old Testament, the chosen ones were the people of Abraham, Israel. They were the physical descendants of Abraham. They were the chosen ones selected by God out of his goodness and grace, not because of anything they've done. And here in Peter, it's the gathering of believers saved in Christ Jesus. You see, they are now the chosen ones selected by God out of his goodness and grace, not by physical descent of Abraham, but through the coming, through them coming to Jesus and believing in him. Now we come to the next three terms. They all come from Exodus 19, verse 6. Exodus 19 is a high point in the people of God. It's where people gathered at Mount Sinai, and God declares to them through Moses that if they live God's ways, they will be his people. Have a listen to verse 5 and 6 in Exodus 19. He says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for the earth, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So the second term here is 
a royal priesthood. A priesthood serves the king, and a priesthood mediates or mirrors the king's blessings to, his, to the people. And in the Old Testament, God gave Israel this title, a royal priesthood serving God the king, mediating the king's blessings to the world. But here in 1 Peter, Peter declares that this term is now fulfilled not by the nation of Israel, not by an ethnic identity, but by the church, by the people, by the believers, saved through the work of Jesus on the cross. The third term here is a holy nation. It's talking about a nation that's set apart for God. And Israel in the Old Testament was that nation. God called Israel out to be different from the others in the way that they lived for God. But now God calls not Israel, but the church, the gathering of believers as the holy nation. It's the church that has this privileged position of being called out by God, called to be different to the world, called through the saving work of Jesus. And the final term here, people for his own possession. In the Old Testament, Israel was God's own treasured possession. God, you see, was pleased to work in a special way to Israel. God protected Israel. God grew Israel. God even sought after Israel when they replaced God for idols. And God even kept a remnant of Israel even after it was destroyed. But after the death and resurrection of Jesus, God declares that the church is God's own possession. The church is the fulfillment of Israel, the church being those saved by trusting in Jesus as Lord and Savior. That is a people for God's own possession. And it's such a privileged status. God works in us. He protects us. He grows us. He even runs after us when we stumble. And God keeps us until that last day and eternity with Jesus. Well, who are we? Who are we saved into? Well, in God's wisdom, he hasn't saved us as silos and individual believers only. He saved us into a collective group of believers, what we call the church, the fulfillment of God's people in the Old Testament, the gathering of all who trust in Jesus as Lord and Saviour. And the church is a chosen race, a priesthood of believers, a holy nation, and a people of God's own possession. The church is entered into not by physical descent or ethnicity, geographical background or national citizenship. As we saw in communion, it's entered into by the blood of Jesus Christ, who paid for our sins on the cross, who saved us from death to life, from darkness 
to light. Well, as we keep going this morning, it's important to note that this verse doesn't stop there. Because this group of people, the church, it's not a social group without a purpose. Some of you on Facebook uh, and are part of community pages and groups like the Eight Mile Plains one or the Mount Gravatt one. Uh, well, we have one. We have a new community chat for the Wishart Outlook Residence Hub, which is a very niche group. And to be frank, this new community chat, it's a group that does nothing. It was started a few months ago. There's been a welcome comment, about 10 thumbs up after that. There was a Merry Christmas comment, another 10 thumbs up after that. Then a Happy New Year comment, and you guessed it right, another 10 thumbs up after that. It was so bad that my friend who lives behind me left the group. But the church isn't like that. We're not a people who do nothing. We're a people with a purpose. And Peter continues to outline the purpose God has given this peculiar, particular people that he's brought together called the church. Let's have a look at the second part of verse 9. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You see, we're a people with a purpose. And there's four words that show us this in this verse. The first word is that. It's an important word because it links the first part to the second part of this verse. It shows reason, purpose, why something happens. God gathers a new people so that, in order that, for the purpose of that. The second word is to proclaim. This is the action that God gives the church. The purpose, the reason for gathering. This is the main game. Note that it doesn't say to rock up to church, to be involved in church, to tick the box, to be seen. It doesn't even say to feel good is the reason that we gather, or to be an example. It doesn't even say to serve or to love or to make friends. You see, our main task is to proclaim, to declare, to herald, to use words. There's a famous quote that says, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. And whoever said this, I think he's being a bit cheeky and hyperbolic. He's really saying, make sure your life and actions line up with the gospel message. But people have taken this quote and used it to mean, you don't have to declare, you don't have to say or share anything, you just have to live it out. And if you really need to, use words. Well, let me suggest to you this morning that the work of proclaiming it does include your life example. It does include your actions. But really, this does lead to proclaiming something. It does lead to using words. 
and sharing the good news of God. One commentator says, it's simply impossible to proclaim the gospel without words. The gospel is inherently verbal and proclaiming the good news of Jesus is inherently a verbal behavior. The third word to note here is excellencies. This word is often translated and thought of as praises, proclaim praises, declare praise. But the word excellencies has an added meaning to this. Angela and I were in Melbourne a fortnight ago, and we had pasta for lunch once, a place that I've been wanting to try for about 10 years. And Angela, she loves gnocchi, and she ordered the gnocchi dish, and one bite into her gnocchi, she just went, wow, can we come back here tomorrow? (laughs) The gnocchi was the best that she's ever had. It was so good. It was so good that the right and fitting thing to do, the only response was for her to go, wow, this is the best. And this is what the word excellencies means. It's so good. It's excellent. And that it's fitting. It's right. It's the only response. The right response is to do praise. You see, what we as believers, as saved people of God, have to proclaim, it's so good. It's excellent. And it's only fitting and right to respond to proclaim. And the fourth and final word, what the excellent thing is, what we proclaim praises of, it's him. God, the God of salvation, the God of the gospel. And here I think it's talking about God as the Godhead. The triune God is the author of salvation. The Father sends the Son, the Son accomplishes the work, and the Spirit points us to the Son. God is the one who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We often say, proclaim Christ, declare Christ. Our mission statement is that, and this is very true and right. And it's also likewise true and right to say, proclaim God, proclaim his excellencies, declare his praises because of all he's done for us in Jesus, in saving us, redeeming us, making us alive and bringing us together as part of his people. So to put these four words together, as we think about the purpose of God's people, the church, it's something like this. God has saved and gathered us as his church. And our purpose, our main thing, is to make known the God who saves us in Jesus. In fact, it's not merely our purpose. It's the only right and fitting response to being saved so excellently in Jesus, to proclaim God and his salvation. 
And we summarize this by our vision statement this year, a church on mission. And finally, really quick, before we apply this, verse 10 shows us the change that this excellent message we declare has made in our lives. He says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see, the change is simple. Once we were nobodies, but in Jesus, we're God's people. We're his privileged, special possession. We enjoy the benefits and the responsibilities of being one of his. And once we were facing judgment and death, but in Jesus, we've received mercy. We've been graciously saved, judgment that is deserved, has been avoided. Rags to riches, judgment and death to salvation and life. That's the change that God in Jesus makes in our lives. That's the change that God wants to work in the lives of others as we do what is fitting and proclaim the excellencies of God. So, Now we come to quickly apply this passage into our lives and the church. We'll do more of this in the year ahead. Uh, We've seen this morning that we're a people with a purpose, a church on mission. And we're going to explore what all this means all through this year in our preaching, our training, in many new initiatives. But there's three quick things that I want to drill into as we finish our time today. And the first thing is, we are on mission. You see, our end goal as God's people is being on mission. Peter puts it really clearly. It's about declaring God's excellencies in Jesus. And we need to be clear about that as we start the year, because we do have a mission. We're not a social group. We're not a gathering without a purpose. And the mission isn't starting a kids, youth, or outreach ministry, or growing bigger as a church, more young families, or comfortability, or status quo, or survival. All of those are great things. We do hope some of them happen on the way. But the mission God has given us is declaring God's excellencies proclaiming Christ as a church in our lives and to our community. So let me ask you today, is this how you see the church's mission? Is this your measure of the church's success? What you see all that happens in the church works towards. When someone asks you, what do you want to see happen in the church this year? Is it about declaring God's excellent message of Jesus to all? Is this the work that you want to be part of as you commit to Hertford Street this year? A church on mission. Maybe today you need to recalibrate. You need to rethink how you see the church's mission and your role in it. Second thing to drill into this morning 
is that we're on mission together. We're a people. We're a church on mission. I've been playing badminton again uh, over the past year, and when we play social badminton, we play doubles. And there are some people you play with when you play doubles, they're really playing a singles game in a doubles game. You see, these people, they try to hit every shot. They run into you and get into your way. You clash rackets. I broke one last year, and I'm not the singles person. <laughs> then they get really mad at you, or you get really mad at them. One of you gives up because the other one's hogging everything. And all of this happens instead of working together. And let me tell you, both strong and weak players play this way. Well, we can do this in the church too. We play solo. We point fingers. We give up. We don't work together. Maybe you're a solo person. Read today's passage. It's a church on mission, not a believer on mission. Do mission together with others. Maybe you're a point fingers person. You get frustrated that others aren't doing anything. Well, we're in it together. Encourage others and make sure that you yourself are contributing to the mission. Maybe you give up easily. Well, if we're really in it together, you have to own the mission God has given us as a church. You have to know the responsibility that God has given you. Ask for help. Lean on your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Let them encourage you and challenge you and equip you to be part of a church on mission. And maybe you don't work together. Maybe some are declaring God's excellencies one way and the others are doing it another way. Some are doing something and others are doing nothing. Well, God calls us to be a church on mission. Let's do it together. Let's encourage one another. Let's unite our efforts. Let's listen to one another as we proclaim Christ together as a body of Christ. So as we head into the year, how are you going to be part of working together as a church on mission? Quick and final application. Maybe you read this passage and you realize, actually, maybe I'm not really a part of God's people. I'm going to church and going through the motions. I've just started attending church, but haven't really experienced verse 10 myself becoming a people and receiving mercy. Well, let me challenge you this morning to hear the excellent message of God. He calls you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. He offers mercy from certain judgment for sin. He gives you this privileged status of being part of God's people. And all of this is found in accepting Jesus as Lord and Saviour. Hear God's good news in Jesus. And let me challenge you to respond 
in repentance and trusting Jesus. Well, as we finish our time this morning, let's remember that God is a God who cares about the world around us. He sent Jesus to pave the way for a fallen world to receive life and salvation. And he's brought his people together, his saved and forgiven people together with a purpose. We are God's privileged people with an excellent news to proclaim. Let's pray that God would help us as we do this this year. Lord God, remind us from today's passage of your powerful work in us through Jesus, that once we were not a people and without mercy, but because of Jesus and his saving work on the cross, we are God's people, having received his great mercy. Lord God, challenge us with the truth that we are a church on mission. Help us to know that our mission is your mission, the one that you've given us to declare your excellent news of salvation, one in Jesus. And Father, as we do this, we ask your spirit to be softening and working in hearts for the cause of the gospel. Help us this year to grow as a church on mission. And we pray and do this not for our own success, but for the fame and glory of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.